Hey, what's up? It's Avery here. Well, I guess who else would it be? It is my own show. <laughs> you see, my show is on platforms like iTunes and Spotify, and you may wonder, how do I get my show on these platforms? Well, I do it through an app called Anchor. It's free to download, and you can use it on your phone or on your laptop. And it also comes with creation tools that let you edit your show. You can also make that sweet moolah with your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, want to get started? Download the Anchor app on the Google Play Store or Apple's App Store. Or go to anchor.fm. It's that easy. Hey, what's up? What's up? What's up? It's your boy Avery here. I got another fun interview for you that I taped from way back when we were in the depth of lockdown, the shutdown, whatever you want to call it, with my longtime friend, Marissa and Jemmy, a Boston-based sports writer. We had a fun discussion on covering lacrosse, our journeys, some NHL talk, women's hockey, and so much more. So please, relax, sit back, and enjoy. Welcome back to Avery Sports Show. What's going on? Hope you're all doing well here on a okay April afternoon. If you follow my content, my Twitter interactions, you'll know my next guest well. It's someone who got started in the media world like I did at a very young age as a teenager covering lacrosse, hockey, and so many other sports. It is Boston-based sports writer Marissa and Jimmy. Marissa, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. Marissa, our journeys first crossed via lacrosse coverage when you were the editor-in-chief of In Lax We Trust. When we were both teenagers, I wrote for the site that you were in charge of. So I want to ask you, with Virgin Story, how did you get involved in sports media and how did lacrosse become that first sport for you to cover? Yeah, when I was um, a teenager, probably like 13, I guess, I saw lacrosse on TV and I thought it looked really cool. And I knew I wanted to be a sports writer, and I started just, like, looking up stuff about lacrosse, and I wanted to read and learn the Boston Blazers were a team, and I wanted to know more about them. And I just couldn't find any information about them. So I just was like, okay, well, no one else is writing about it. I guess I will. And then it kind of took off. SB Nation took the blog I made on Blogspot, and mm. then for a while that was my entire life until I went to college and then started working at a couple newspapers. So, uh, yeah, kind of a weird way to get into it, but um, it worked out. It did work out. I know. I know. I remember. Um, you hired myself, hired Mike Wilson, and we were about um, most of the National Cross League. It's kind of fun because it was a it was a period in which National Cross League was one of the first leagues to really embrace non traditional riders. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty unique. Um, I, I'm not sure how many people at the time when I started out and um, anyone else because there were a lot of teenage lacrosse riders at the time knew mm -hmm. how old we really were because for a while it was me and then Mike was working on the website, too, and then after him, it was Jack Good, who's a sports editor in uh, Milwaukee now, yes. and he's a year older than me, um, so yeah, it was kind of weird at times, because we were, like, trying to report on stuff, and we were also, like, literally children, um, <laughs> which is kind of wild to look back on now, like, as an adult covering sports and doing, like, very similar things and thinking, like, 
Oh my god, we were like fifteen trying to do that stuff. It was um, it was kind of crazy. It really was crazy. When I ask you, though, what was the one story? Was there one story in your mind that stuck it to you as like your favorite? Be it a story about a team or about a player. Like, wow, I'm gonna look back on that and say that was my best story I did on that site. Oh wow, there's a lot of them. <laughs> um, one of them, I guess, this one was pretty recent. Um, or recent, it was like four years ago. I mm. broke the San Diego Seals being a team. <laughs> um, and there's still like a lot of stuff from that story I wrote a while ago that is still like coming out. So that's a story that like people still will ask me about, which is kind of wild. Um, I'll always remember my first story I did for In Lacrosse We Trust, which I interviewed Ed Como, and at the time he was the first, like, professional interview I'd ever had, um, and I was, like, a basic question and answer story, but still it was, like, crazy to me being 14 doing that, um, so that probably stands out, also just in general, like, coverage of the North American Lacrosse League, at the time it was only me and a couple other people reporting on that league, so there's a lot of stories from there that... I like to look back on, like, like we did good work on that. You did. And for those of you who don't know, the NALL was a league in which it lasted for a little bit, and it was a it was a very, very big gong show. Marissa and I both know. <laughs> that was quite the league. I know um, in your career, you've gone from covering lacrosse. You've your career has gone into covering hockey, women's hockey for SB Nations, the Ice Garden, and also you were writing for the Boston Herald covering the NHL. Just about what was it like for yourself being on a beat covering Boston Bruins? Because I think for so many of us in sports media, one of the dreams is to be covering a beat in one of the big four leagues, be it hockey, baseball, basketball, football. And you were able to do that, traveling, going across North America, covering the Boston Bruins. Just what was that like? Yeah, I mean, it was a dream come true. I loved um, than I ever expected. Just the, the output of work you have to put out. You have to write so many things a day. Things you're not writing, you still have to show up. You have to always be in contact with people. Mm-hmm. The travel is a lot, but I love to travel. <laughs> um, it was great. I mean, I don't feel like I'm done with beat reporting yet. I'd like to do it again somewhere else or even here if that were to ever come up again. Um, but it, it was incredible, and I hope that everyone who ever wants to be a beat reporter and aspires to do it gets to at least get some experience because it really is a once-in-a-lifetime type of experience. I think people don't realize like the amount of work that goes into being a beat writer. It is truly tough because you have, like you said, you have to be in contact with players, coaches. Like it truly is a job in which you have to really be mentally prepared. Yeah, I mean it's so much work. Like so, what my routine was. Um, so if there was a practice, I would go and write two stories no matter what, either a notebook or a feature, mm-hmm. or both of them sometimes. For a game day, I was writing six stories between pregame stuff, notebooks, game story, game story, uh, updates. So it's so much work, and I'm not sure people realize that. Like, it's a lot of fun and, like, definitely, like, a cool job, but, like, you can't really slack off or you can't really, like, take a break. You have to be doing it all the time. Of course, it's true. And for yourself, you know, Boston Bruins, they've been a team for the past decade. They've been among one of the elite teams in the Eastern Conference. What was it like covering a team in which that year in, year out, continues to prove themselves to be among the elite of the Eastern Conference? Yeah, I mean, covering a good team is fun. I've never covered a bad team on a beat, so <laughs> I, I can't even imagine what that's like. But uh, they went to the Cup Final last year. They get to Game 7. Mm. And that was just an experience that for the rest of my life I'll treasure, just getting to go that deep into the playoffs and be a part of the whole thing, like standing on the ice after Game 7, even though the Bruins lost. Uh, getting to meet so many people, getting to hang out with so many people, tell stories that so many people were seeing. Like, one time Doc Emmerich came up to me and told me, like, read my stories, and that was insane. That's um, cool. So, like, yeah, the experience covering a good team like that was crazy. No. And, of course, being around this team for so long, you get to know the personality they're like. So i got to ask you, uh, which players or staff members did you feel were among the better coaches in that locker room? Where? You walked away thinking, wow, 
I can bang out a game story that is just beyond the so the cliches. Yeah, the Brewers had some pretty good quotes on the team, especially the younger guys. I like talking to the younger guys because they were my age. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Was always like my go-to guy um, because he always had something interesting to say on like any topic. Uh, Charlie McAvoy, pretty good as a BU guy. I got along with him pretty well. Uh, those are the two that stand out. But like, yeah, you, you, when you're like you're writing so many stories a day, there are so many times you just have to use a quote of like get pucks in deep, right, or something like that. So it's always refreshing. When you get someone who can kind of be like a go-to for you, who can give you some color for your story. Now, of course, great to have those kind of guys. You know, with this, you know, with this season, this has been probably one of the strangest years, I guess, in hockey in a very long time, considering the fact that you know we've had we've had so many changes due to coronavirus. I want to ask you, as someone who was on a beat for a pro team, how would you feel about the idea of what's floating around? A quarantine season, and that may be, I mean, a quarantine season for all we know. It might include college hockey, it might include the NWHL later on this year, we'll get into that. But what are your thoughts on the NHL's quarantine plan where you will have um, all the games in four cities, two of them we know being possibly Edmonton St. Paul in your mind? It seems to be evolving every day, because like one day we were hearing about New Hampshire and North Dakota, and now we're hearing mm-hmm. these pod cities with like Raleigh and Clayton, Minnesota and stuff. Yes. Um... It's, like, it's really tough because, like, it needs to be totally safe, right? And it seems almost inevitable that someone could get sick in those situations. Like, you'd need, like, a 14-day period of quarantine before you even begin training camp to make sure everyone can do that because you're going to need a couple weeks to skate and everything. Then you're probably going to need another 14 days because you're going to travel. It seems, like, really difficult. Um, And even, like, moving into four cities, you're going to have to travel again to all play each other again in the end, right? So... I'm not really sure how it can work out. For me, I, I, I keep getting back to if it's not safe for people to be there, how is it safe at all? So it seems to be evolving every day, so it's really tough to say just like how it's going to turn out or what it would be like. Exactly. It really, it really is strange how they're going to do this. And I've been seeing, I know, I think Ted Leontes suggested the idea of limited fans in arenas, but I don't know how you can really enforce that when fans would still need to go to a washroom or fans would still need a concession stand somewhat. It, it's really an odd play, and I really hope that this season doesn't, because I don't think anyone really wants to look at this season and have a giant incomplete on the Stanley Cup by the fall here. I, I mean, the thing is, too, they keep talking about doing the regular season before the playoffs, and, like, that seems totally unnecessary at that point. Why, yeah. why get involved? More teams, more people, more risk. Um, I, I just have such a hard time seeing it happen, and, like, yeah, it's unfortunate if uh, there's no Stanley Cup champion, but it's more unfortunate if a tragedy comes out of it. So for me, it's just like, I, this has to be totally safe and okay for, and that has to be proven, and I'm not sure there's a way to do that right now. Right, it is. It's only moving parts to it now, and I know I'm seeing the idea of the NHL draft happening before the season ends, and it seems to be like, that just seems to be too challenging to have games going on when standings can change. It seems to be like, I feel, if at the end of the day, if we do end the season right now, I don't know why you need to have a draft in June. A draft can change. We've seen leagues move their draft day before. I think the NHL is too rigid on these kind of events happening in a certain time frame, in my mind, like the draft. Yeah, I mean, like, for the draft, you don't have to have that on location either. Like, it's fun. Like, I'm bummed out not to be going to Montreal for the draft now, um... If they made the league, the NHL loves your league events more than just about any league. So I'm sure what their ideal would be to have an event still somewhere. But that who knows when that could happen. So if that can't happen anytime soon, they are going to have to replenish farm systems. They're going to have to let these kids know what their futures are if they're going to be with the team. So a virtual draft of some sort would be fine. 
But again, yeah, it seems like a priority is to figure out, are you going to finish the season? How are you going to do that? Because I don't think those can run um, concurrently. Yeah, it's really odd. I know I know. now you moved to join SB Nation's Ice Garden. Before I get to there, I do want to talk about with the way things have gone in the media world. People have been laid off and people have lost their jobs. But what does it mean to see after you were unfortunately laid off from the Boston Herald? What did it mean to have so many people in sports media reach out to you, myself included, to wish you well and give you best thoughts? Because I think for a while, you were trending in the city of Boston. Right? You were a topic trending in, I think, America. It really shows that people have a lot of love for you in the media world. Pretty more so. It was really <laughs> crazy. Like, I didn't expect that kind of reaction from people. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I'm really touched by it. I have so many friends. Indie industry that I've mm -hmm. met on Twitter, that I've met going to games, that I've um, just known over the past few years, and like I'm, I'm really touched that so many people cared about it. So many people are losing their jobs right now in journalism yes. and everywhere else, and it's really tough for everyone. So, just having any support at all, like anyone who can have that kind of support, is very fortunate. No, of course it really is. I know you've been, and now you've been providing some coverage for for the Ice Garden women's hockey, which you've been providing great coverage in, and on the NWHL, which is going into its sixth season. And they've expanded again. You were one of the first reports to break the story of expansion into Toronto. What does it mean now to see the NWHL actually pull the trigger on Canadian expansion? I remember a couple of years ago they teased the idea of teams in Toronto and Montreal, but now they're actually going forward and making this a reality. It's huge because I'm not sure people in the women's hockey world have fully believed in the NWHL being sustainable and mm -hmm. just expanding now. It's year six. There are six teams now. The league doesn't appear to be going anywhere. What stands out to me the most with the Toronto team is the team president, Digi Murphy. She was so involved in the CWHL and for a while, it's kind of been viewed as a fractured landscape of CWHL versus NWHL. The CW is gone. Yes. But so many people associate a lot of those people with the PWHPA now. So having someone like Digi Murphy, who was such a presence in the CWHL, in that entire realm, and having her as part of the NWHL feels almost kind of like bridging the gap a bit. You have four players who signed from the PWHPA with Toronto, and they all cited Digi Murphy as the reason why. So I think that this could be a big turning point for the league. You see right there the impact of Digi Murphy. How cool is that to see her involved in Toronto as their team president? Because she is someone who knows the women's game inside and out. She's coached at various levels, pro, college. She's a great person to have in the game. I think she's a great choice. Oh, yeah. I mean, someone like Digi Murphy, no one's more passionate than she is about women's sports and mm -hmm. growing opportunities in sports for women. Um, she was involved with UWLX, of course. She went over to China was the, one of the T, uh, CWHL teams in China, and she's yes. always had the same mission. Um, so someone like that running your women's hockey franchise is going to be important because it's just going to mean more to them. Hockey, they're the ones who are going to really carry the torch for it a lot more. So having some of those uh, traditional women's hockey minds involved is only going to help. Of course, it really will be. And you know, with expansion franchises, there's always a big thing with expansion teams, and no matter what league it is, that's where expansion teams always come out of the gate and they struggle early. I feel the league should be doing everything they can to make sure that the Toronto is competitive. I don't think... One thing with the NWHL, there's always been some sort of balance. I mean, mm -hmm. if you look at what the Pride did uh, in the second year, going undefeated to the last day of the regular season, and then they end up getting upset. Uh, this year, the Pride, they were the favorites to win the Isabel Cup, and, I mean, that game with Minnesota, that wasn't going to be a gimme because Minnesota had beat them earlier in the year. So there's always kind of been that kind of parity and balance in the league. So Toronto is definitely going to draw. They're going to draw some of the uh, Canadian talent in the league, probably some of the players who have played for Buffalo as well because they've historically had the most Canadian talent. So you'd imagine they're going to contend. 
But you're not going to run away with it because Boston's still there, and Boston's making a big move for some other big-name players, and they're retaining a lot. Uh, the Riveters are really starting to build. Minnesota's a really good team. So I feel like Toronto coming in, they're going to definitely, they're going to contend. They're not going to be a doormat by any means, and I don't mm. think they're going to dominate either. Good. There have been a lot of parity in the NWHL. And now with the fact that we now have six teams, how long do you think it'll be before we can look at expansion again and say, no, there's always been rumors, the idea of uh, uh, Pittsburgh getting involved. There's always been the idea of uh, Western expansion. Do you think there's a timeline in place to have, like you said, a Pittsburgh here by uh, 2023 or 2024, or is it still more of a wait-and-see model to see how Toronto goes before we further expansion, be it more teams in the East Coast or a Western presence again in women's hockey? There's a lot of factors at play there because we don't know what's going to come of the TWHPA. We don't know if those players are going to need a home at some point. Uh, we don't know what the NHL steps in. I, mm-hmm. I doubt, but you never know. So it, it's tough to predict the landscape. I know Pittsburgh definitely been on the radar. They had an all-star game there. Um, as far as expansion for the league as a whole, they're looking a lot at private ownership. They have Boston privately owned now, the Toronto team. Um, that's definitely a focus to bring in private ownership groups because they can just do so much more for their teams. Uh, and that's an attractive option for players, too. So I think where they locate next, have a lot to do with ownership groups and um, that type of security. Fair enough, makes sense. I know people in the NHL, one thing that they've done the past couple of years is they've had their games on Twitch. And I think that I love the fact that they've gone on Twitch. I love the fact that they've had games on Twitter. They've been one of the leaders in broadcasting games on new platforms because... Yes, we know that getting games on TV for the league, that's an important thing. But it's great to see games on a platform like Twitch in a, to help the league grow when you're attracting a new and modern audience. Well, a big element of that is being free, too. So you mm-hmm. go to Twitch and just have access to the games. And I think for any um, developing sport or smaller league or growing league, having people be able to see your product easily is so important. Now, you're not MLB and everyone's clamoring to watch you. You do have your loyal fans, but you want to introduce it to other fans as well. You want to make money, of course. Yes. But that's ticket sales, that's um, revenue from merchandise, stuff like that. So. Um, just the accessibility of the NWHL on Twitch, I thought was really innovative, and it would be great to see other leagues um, kind of in their same sphere go to something like that as well. No, of course, it would be massive. I know I mentioned earlier about the idea of quarantine hockey. I think apps like Twitter and Twitch are going to play a massive role because I know people are talking about bubble hockey and, of course, the idea of getting the fans back in. But if that's not possible by the fall, these platforms are going to be used even more to provide NWHL content to the masses. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the accessibility there is definitely an advantage, too, because if you are home and uh, you don't feel comfortable going to a game or they don't have fans or whatever, just being able to turn on your computer or your phone or TV or almost any platform, it's the most accessible league in the world in the sense of you don't, you, you don't need to have cable, you don't need to have a subscription plan, you just need a device and, a plat- and you can get the platform. Um, so that's definitely an advantage. Uh, for a league where if there aren't fans for a while or people aren't going out to the game, you're still introducing your product to people. You're seeing now in the narrative that the women's game isn't worth watching. It's a bunch of garbage. I'm glad that narrative is dying. People care about the game. And the coverage is always growing more. And, I mean, it would be cool to see the NWHL one day on, say, a CBC or, or NBC full-time. It'd be cool to see one day. Yeah, I mean, people have always carried the argument that nobody cares, nobody's watching, or mm-hmm. coming from people who are, don't care and aren't watching, so what would they know about it? <laughs> um, I definitely think the future of women's hockey is um, on bigger platforms as well. Uh, we've mm-hmm. seen how well um, the Olympics have done. 
Uh, the rivalry series has done very well as far as drawing in fans and on TV. Um, so I think there's definitely that potential there. It all depends, again, on where the funding comes from, uh, how does the NWHL grow, where does the PWHPA go. A lot is wrapped up in the future of those two leagues, those two concepts. Uh, the NHL's involved. If the NHL got involved, that's definitely going to be on some one of their platforms at some sort. Do they negotiate it on the TV? I don't know. Um, it, it's definitely somewhere in the future. It's just a matter of how. No, exactly. That is very, very true. Before I let you go, Marissa, I do ask you, you know, how has Bell's life been like now being a cat owner? She's, like, sleeping on my bed right now. It's wonderful. It was, it was good timing. I've always wanted a cat, and I couldn't really or I was afraid to because I'm traveling so much, and then I figured, well, my biggest road trips are behind me, and all my trips coming up are one or two games, so I adopted her, and then there aren't any more games anyways, and if there are, I don't have to travel because I don't have a job, so good timing. <laughs> That is awesome. That's incredible. Marissa, I got to thank you for doing the podcast. It was a pleasure chatting with you. And hopefully we can do it again sometime whenever I'm in Boston. And it was a blast to finally meet you in person here in Edmonton during the season.